and welcome to the Crawling Around My Brain podcast. I'm your host, Graham Brown. Really happy to have you with us this week. I appreciate all the support as usual, and we continue to maintain our top 50 podcast status in Australia, so big ups to my Australian fans. The sounds you heard at the beginning of this podcast were in-game sounds from my new favorite sport, Ultimate Frisbee. That's right, you heard me, Ultimate Frisbee, specifically the AUDL, which is the American Ultimate Disc League which you can learn more about at theaudl.com or audl.tv. I stumbled upon it on Fox Sports and couldn't believe how much fun it was to watch. It translates great to TV. I then went into a deep dive on YouTube, got into the socials, and started watching some of the highlights. And it is like a combination of all these great sports that I love. Um, and I just couldn't believe that I hadn't really invested myself in the sport before. So... This week, I'm really excited to have one of the stars of the AUDL on the podcast, Mr. Stefan Samu. He plays with the SD Growlers, so make sure to go check out the SD Growlers on socials or through the AUDL.com. For those that know nothing about Ultimate Frisbee, like me, this is a great podcast for you because we cover a lot of the basics. For those that maybe have been Ultimate fans for a long time or even played, this is really cool because Stefan has been excelling in the sport for many, many years, and he talks about some of the intricacies of playing the sport at a professional level and what it takes to maintain his status as a professional ultimate player. So I was really excited to have this conversation. I know I'd been promising a big guest for the last couple of weeks. This is that big guest. I really hope you enjoy this as much as I do, and I would tell you to just just put aside whatever preconceptions you have about Ultimate Frisbee. Go onto YouTube, watch some of the AUDL highlights, go to AUDL TV, sign up for the pass, watch the games. I really think that you will be uh, very happy and you can thank me later. So with that being said, let's get right into it. My interview with Stefan Samu. Stefan, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Graham. Excited to, to get into this. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, as I mentioned in our pre-chat, um, I am a little concerned that your voice is too deep uh, and I feel like there's a little competition, so I might have to do some editing afterward just to bump that up a little bit. I just wanted to acknowledge that up front. Okay, I see how it is. <laughs> no, but really, I appreciate you being here. Um, just so you know, I've been teasing that I have this big guest uh, on coming on the program, and so no pressure, but um, it's been a couple weeks here. I even had to do a a story reading of something that I wrote. And so this has been a big build up to get you. And for the folks who may not know you, um, first of all, shame on them, but you are a professional ultimate player. Now you can correct me if I get some of the nomenclature wrong here, but you play for the San Diego Growlers. Uh, you're a defender, uh, number 66, which I think is, uh, we'll have, we might have to get into that a little bit. But um, yeah, I just am really pumped that you, we're uh, able and willing to come on the program. So thank you. Yeah, of course. It's great to have like an opportunity to talk on a platform about like a sport that is growing and uh, could use all of the publicity possible, you know? Yeah, hundred percent. So I know I didn't give a super robust bio there, but anything else that you wanted to let folks know about yourself? Um, maybe, I mean, you don't necessarily have to go through the whole resume, but anything in addition to your status as a, uh, a pro ultimate player that you wanted to share? Yeah. I mean, I guess I, I grew up in the Bay area, uh, quite a hub for the sport. Um, and then I moved down here to San Diego for college and, uh, have been here ever since. And, uh, ultimate has kind of followed me ever since the end of high school. So been in it for like eight years now. So I got to tell you, I am a huge sports fan, but I'm brand new to the world of Ultimate. And I have so many questions that I'm going to fire at you. Um, I also have a little game later calling Stump uh, the Samu. So that we'll get to that <laughs> okay. later. But, um, you know, I wasn't really exposed to the sport at all growing up. And then recently I was just watching TV and on like Fox sports or Fox sports West or something like that, a game came on and I was like, God, this is awesome. Like people are flying around. There are these like, I mean, every other pass, there's like some pretty incredible athletic play where it's like kind of a combination of a bunch of sports. Like it has some of the layout of like a soccer maybe, but then it has some of the, the physicality and the athleticism of a football 
So like, I, that's how I got into it. And I, I found myself continuing to watch it. Then I started going down a rabbit hole on YouTube and Instagram. And like, obviously that's how I found you, but how would you describe the sport for people that like me aren't really aware or weren't aware of it? That's funny that you like kind of discovered it that way because I had a very similar experience to like getting into the sport in the first place. I I had grown up playing soccer like really young and then went into like basketball and football pretty competitively in high school and then got a couple injuries and couldn't get cleared to to play those sports. And then I saw some people playing ultimate and I was like, wait a second, that looks like a mix of all the sports that I love. I should probably go give that a try since you don't need a waiver yeah. for that one in high school at the time. So that was like my only sport possible to play at the time. And I was like, <laughs> let's give it a shot. They're all freshmen. I'm a senior, but I got no other options and I need some competitive uh, outlet. And so, yeah, I would describe it similarly to you, uh, to what you said. It's It's got like this continuous flow in a way, kind of like soccer, like in, in like the passing slash pass, move, pass, mm. move. You can't dribble like soccer. So once you mm-hmm. catch it, you got to stand still. So this kind of does create like a forced teamwork aspect, which I find like at the at first is a little jarring, like when you start playing, because like, oh, I can't make things happen when I have the the ball, Frisbee, whatever you want. The object. When you have it, you can't do much. Like, But it, it becomes really interesting. Like a lot of strategic elements come in because you have you have to trust each other you gotta make yeah make other people gotta make plays for you you have to make them together type of thing but it feels like football when you're playing it it feels like you're playing wide receiver and cornerback all the time that's the best way to describe it i'd say i i think that's exactly right i would actually say um and i want to come back to that football piece and the route kind of the route running that it looks like but Again, for folks, I mean, I would absolutely check it out. You can you can watch it on Fox Sports like I did. You can subscribe, I think, on AUDL.com and you can pay a monthly um, like pass essentially to watch the games. Um, but, you know, I actually think that's interesting how you can you catch the disc or the Frisbee. I know that there was some reason why it's not Ultimate Frisbee because that was like a trademark name or something, but uh, whatever. I'm so bad with this technical stuff too. Right. So it's like, yeah, I, disc, I always call it a ball still because I'm just like in my head, all I think about is sports, like sports and all I've ever played with is right, like, right. football, basketball. So I'm just so used to just calling it a ball, but yes, a disc. And it's kind of like, it's kind of like basketball in the sense if you stop, you know, you can't, you can only take a couple steps, right? I think it's, was it three steps in, in Ultimate that you can take or I something like that? I mean, slow down with, 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 Slow down with like respect to your speed. So like you can't get extra yards, but don't blow out a knee, you know, like just a reasonable amount of steps is is given type of thing. Okay. And what you just said, I think there's a real um, interesting piece, again, for those that don't know the sport about like sportsmanship, right? So can you, and you, so what you just described is what I thought I'm like, it almost appears as if there's a rule, but really that people are almost like policing themselves and I know like in the history of the sport, I know a little bit of the history about that, but that's what it appeared to me. It's like, maybe it's two steps, maybe it's three, but it's basically like, don't take advantage of the situation. If you're running super fast and you catch a pass, you know, take a couple steps, but don't, if you go too many, then basically it's going to be a problem. But can you describe like what that, and I know we're coming in hot, we're only six minutes in and we're diving into the core fundamentals of the sport, but no, I think it's what, great. I think it's great what's what is it like what's the ethos in general about sportsmanship that is at the core of ultimate because i think that's super fascinating that's a great point i i think that's a really great point um it that's another thing that's very shocking when you come from other sports so the ethos is like it's really just again like you said don't take advantage of things but also let's not hurt each other while trying to be as athletic and as competitive as possible let's not try to like destroy each other's bodies go through someone's back of someone's knee these type of things like are are for the most part people try to avoid i will say though that as the sport gets more like legitimacy and becomes professional now for longer and longer Mm -hmm. this these things do kind of erode a little bit like the sense of it is all still there like people still are very respectful i would say is a good way of putting it but there's Mm -hmm. a little more competitive edge and a little less priority on that um okay and I, honestly, it was a bit much when I started for me, like the people would tell me I'm not even allowed to go for that disc because the other guy has such good position that it's not like I can't even try to make a play because there's a possibility we make contact, which was like really, really right. hard to get into my like normal football basketball brain. Like that seems insane. Like I can't even try. 
Um, I think that that's gone away a little bit and we're at like a happy medium now where it's like people will protect each other, but there's mm-hmm. still an understanding that we're going to be competitive. We're going to, there's going to be some little bits of contact, but yeah, don't take advantage of the rules, I guess is a great way of putting it while keeping each other safe. Yeah. So I, that's exactly what you see too. So again, for those that don't know the sport, really, you are playing offense, you're playing defense, you're covering people tightly to try to prevent them from making throws and things like that but you can't really foul them. And there are referees. I know they're they're not called referees, but there are like referees on the field, right? But they're not really involved necessarily unless they have to be. Is that kind of how you would? This is true at lower levels. So this okay. is true at like in your club level or in your college level or any level below the pro league. They have what we call observers. So yeah. uh, they don't get involved unless a player makes a call themselves. So nothing will be called, but if a player makes a call and the other player doesn't agree with the call, then they become, then they make the ruling basically. Then they come, then the, the ref will step in and make a ruling on it. And it kind of keeps the flow of the game going. You don't have to stop as often. There's not like, there's not issues with that, but I, at the pro level, you need it. Yeah. So you're in the highest stakes and I should have led with that. And and definitely um, we'll, we'll make sure that I include that in the intro, but you know, the AUDL is the highest professional league in our country. Right. And is it, would you say worldwide as well? Yeah. And we, we have the best players and overall in terms of like probably highest level on average. Um, And there's, there's the most players that play probably are all in the U S yeah. And it's so, okay. So that's, and that's kind of verified and validated by what I'm watching on TV, because again, the athleticism is really impressive. And this other piece that we're talking about with the kind of the referees or the observers, of course, the stakes are high, you know, there's a championship on the line ultimately. So you have to have people that are paying attention and making sure everyone's doing what's right, but it's not a, a sport where it's overtaken by the ump or the ref. So I played baseball a lot and sometimes umpires get too involved, right? Or you especially see this in basketball, where people complain about it all the time. It's like one of the most popular things, like is the game almost rigged because there's so much interaction from the, some of the referees. You don't get that here. It's like that. there's very rarely a stoppage of play, which is cool. It's just like continuously happening. Is that what it feels like on the field too? Yeah, it's definitely a let it, like let players play unless something mm-hmm. is, is pretty ex- extremely dangerous and or t- completely violating the rules. But it's it for the most part, it's just let the people play and and let the disc lie where it lies type of thing. Um, and I definitely prefer yeah. that than the than the over-involvement of refs, like you said, in a lot of other sports. So it, it is it is refreshing in that way. Yeah, totally. I, it's very refreshing to watch, I can tell you that. So I know I've gotten a bit ahead of myself here because we haven't even really dived into your origin story and we don't have to go super deep. But I know we were talking about um, how you began you know, playing in high school and then you went on to play in college. So is that something where before you went to college, you were like, I want to find a college that offers this at a pretty high level because I think I'm pretty good at this and there's a chance. Or was it, I just want to go to this college and if they have, you know, a team, that's great. Like, was it, did it factor into your decision-making Were you recruited to play? So I, I think I have, I, I'm, Again, I'm not the like a uh, poster boy for what a frizzy player is, honestly. Um, and so I might have okay. had a little bit of inconvention, like a unconventional route to getting there. Um, and so like my, I get all my high school career, my main focus was basketball. And we were on a very, I was, I got lucky to be on like a really, really talented team. I was probably arguably one of the worst players on that team. Like if I'm being realistic, like a lot of those guys are playing pro now um, in overseas. Okay. Oh, wow. Like so, like a really, really good team. And so we would travel during this season and everything. And all my focus was there and. I think I mentioned it, but yeah, I had like a couple injuries my junior year. I got like three concussions in like six months. And so wow. the doctors wouldn't sign the waiver for my senior year of basketball to start the season. So like, they were just like, you can't play. It's not reasonable. And so then I ended up playing Frisbee for like four months that year in my senior year. And then finally got a waiver signed and hot back to basketball. But in those okay. four months, I met, there's like a, there's a, in the Bay Area, there's like enough high schools that have teams that they have like a whole league that's going on. Uh, Berkeley High School like wins national championships for high school Frisbee. Like they're, they have a whole program. Wow. They have like 90 kids in high school playing. Uh, it's like wow. super developed. And so like I met enough people and they were like, hey, you seem to be figuring this sport out. You should come out to a, um, a like California state team tryout. 
uh, for like a state champion, okay. like where all the states end up playing each other in the summer. So they fly out to Minnesota. You, you Minnesota plays California. California plays New York. See which state has the best team type of thing. And I went mm-hmm. out and I really couldn't throw a Frisbee, if I'm being honest. Like I was just relying purely on my ability to like run a wide receiver route and catch a Frisbee type of thing. And I right. make, make sure I can get it to someone else's hands type of thing. Because once you catch it, like you do have to pass it to someone eventually. But I was definitely going for as short a pass as possible. Um, and right. so I ended up making that team somehow. <laughs> I, that and had a wonderful experience playing at that tournament did really well um at the at the uh, the national tournament and so then i ended up going to uc san diego not knowing i was gonna play frisbee at all and i happened to be one of my teammates from that state team just ended up being in uc san diego too and i ran into him and he's like hey there's a frisbee team here do you want to play and i wasn't super eager but then when I went out, I saw like they had a really well-developed program too. There's like 120 kids that are all playing Frisbee. And I was like, that's a great way to get to meet people. And kind of the rest is history. The coach is a really, really long-standing coach at this school. So like 17 years he was there. And so he wow. had like set up this whole thing. Similar personality to me, just wants to compete. And uh, I, I played there for as long as I could. And uh, he ended up being the the professional coach here in San Diego as well. So he coaches the college team and the professional team. And so the transition was pretty seamless for me in terms of I had connections again and, and find my way into the team after college. That's, that's really interesting. Yeah. That's super interesting because a couple of things you said, I want to touch on. The first is I can't throw a Frisbee and I imagine I'm not alone with this, right? I'm terrible. And the throws that people are making in your league are like, incredible they're you know the hammer throws we're talking like 60 yard curving it around two defenders to a guy leaping in the end zone making like a wide receiver type touchdown catch with the disc that's like two inches off the ground it's like insane and i i keep thinking like i'm immediately disqualified from this sport like you said you played basketball i imagine that maybe you had some natural ability there like baseball i felt like i had some natural ability I definitely don't have that with with throwing a frisbee. So that's incredible that you kind of overcame that yourself a little bit. Yeah, I think like you described a, a play perfectly and like what makes me like the sport so much in the end because I was the person that was like, this is a silly sport. Like this is silly. I don't know why I would play frisbee. I like basketball. I like football. This is what I want to do. And then I started getting into it. And you're like, wait a second like the, the skill cap on throwing is incredible. Like I've been playing for eight years now and I would consider myself a very, very, very capable thrower at this point. And there's still people mm-hmm. that are like so much better. And like the fact that there's such a massive skill cap, but then also the aspect of athleticism, like you mentioned, where like mm-hmm. you have a disc that you can curve around people, but in the end, the disc is kind of at the mercy of the wind. And there's going to be some carry mm-hmm. to a Frisbee when you throw it. And so if there's two athletes out there in this sense, like I would call them the people cutting for the Frisbee. So you can call them the wide receiver and run and, and cornerback in this sense. If you, to give it an analogy, if you have two sure. massively athletic guys out there, it's going to be a play in the air. Like the wide, the, the offensive player might have the better line to it, might have the better chance at getting the Frisbee. If you have a good thrower, but that defensive player, because the way the Frisbee interacts with the air it's not like a football. It's not pinpoint. Like you can't, you can be accurate. You can give space to throw out to, but you, it's going to be at some mercy to that wind. There's going to be a chance that yeah. that defender can go make a huge play. Like you mentioned, jump four feet in the air, go, go get a block. And so this kind of brings me to like, I don't want to get too far away from the talk topic, but like the room for growth because of both of those attributes to the sport where you have like incredibly mm-hmm. high skill cap in throwing and in incredibly high, like, displays of athleticism quite often because of the floaty nature of a frisbee Mm -hmm. i think lends itself to like this sport if you could get guys if you could put russell westbrook and lebron out there and you throw a frisbee up it would be spectacular like as the athletes get better and better even i think the sport has potential to be amazingly interesting to watch and amazingly like just a visual sport that you would really want to watch I totally agree. That's that's kind of why I wanted to talk to you about this because I totally agree. It's like I have some questions around that specifically, but if you had to say, so that's the first thing I thought of is I'm like, first of all, I can never play the sport because I can't throw a frisbee. Number two is I am not great at running distance or running a lot. <laughs> yeah, that, that's right? tough. Yeah, 
It's tough. I mean, you guys are flying around up and down, up and down. And then, and, and I'm sure there are plays and it does, it doesn't look like disorganized. It looks very organized. It looks like maybe there's route trees that, that people have, and maybe there's indicators, but you know, you had a connection with, with a gentleman. I'm, I'm not going to come up with his name right now. Uh, actually, I might've written it down, but like, and it was a couple of times, almost like a similar play. And I'm like, they must've either known that they were looking for a certain matchup or, you know, whatever. And then there's a play and it appeared to me, it's like, you need to be able to throw the Frisbee. You need to be able to catch. You need to be aggressive to look up for, it's almost like a deep pass in football as we're talking about it. Right. And it's like, it's Randy Moss versus whomever going up for the ball. So then I was like, got to help if you're tall and you're pretty tall, right? You're six, two, if, if the bio is accurate, yep. I don't know if you add or subtract, uh, dot, based on, on that, dot, but yeah, it's of the dot, right. So if you had to put together like the, the, the top skills, the top three that would make someone successful, in this sport, what would it be? That's a great question. And I guess you, Thank you would you. want to split the sport into two main, main like uh, roles, I guess you'd be a cutters and handlers. Um, okay. a cutter being the person going down the field, catching most of receiving yards. Um, and then a handler being the one that's probably touching the disc the most often you could compare a handler more to a quarterback. They're probably not catching many yards, but they're making a lot of throws. They're throwing a lot of yards. And so, got it. Okay. These two roles don't have specific attributes. And of course, like as the sport grows and grows and grows, I think maybe they would end up having specific attributes as as you more fine-tune like what makes a great player, like you said. But I would say mm-hmm. like you often find that really, really quick players are great handlers. So like quick, small uh players, like where you can't like in small spaces where you want to just make like a four or five yard throw to space it's really hard to stop to guard someone that's like super, super quick. And so if that guy is super quick and can make huge throws, that's a great handler. People to come to mind is like, maybe you'd want someone a really quick point guard in my brain. So like, if I had to pick the perfect handler, you're talking someone like, I don't know if you watch a lot of basketball, De'Aaron Fox for the Kings yes. comes to mind. I someone with lot. just I like too much elite quickness, like, and springiness. So like if, if, if you need it, you can use it. But just like speed, quickness, and then you can honestly, like you said, you can't throw a frisbee. You give me like one hour, I can turn you into a great thrower, at least a decent thrower. Like it's something you can really learn on to like to get to like. Of course, eventually you get to a place where you plateau quite a bit. Most people, like the, it's it's harder to get like really great. But like it is something that you can teach everyone to a quite a decent level. So I'd probably just start with a really quick and fast guy if I was going to pick a best handler, for example. Um, okay. Makes if I was going to go to cutter. And we're talking Randy Moss. I mean, you wouldn't have to do much, Cal- like Calvin, like Megatron. Like you, if you put one of those. Yeah, I was thinking there, like Giannis. Yeah, I mean, I mean maybe Giannis even might Giannis. be too. Obviously, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. These, like, I would, I would say, like, you would just take elite wide receivers in the NFL. Like, that's, I mean, basketball players would be great, but I mean, it's it's exactly what a wide receiver does. Like, there's some players, even at the professional level, that are so good at that part of the game that they aren't great throwers. And I mean, they're obviously not the best mm. players on these professional teams, but they have their uses already. Just being such a great receiver, you can make a couple basic throws and you can get it back into a handler's hands and go do your job again. And that's a great player. But like, if you could teach Randy Moss how to throw a Frisbee and we're talking game over, probably like that's, that's your elite. Like that's the elite of the elite you could get. Like, that's what I would want at least as a coach. Yeah. There's a couple and I, you know, and again, I don't know, there's a bunch of teams. I've only seen a handful of games, so I'm not an expert at all. Um, I know there's a couple guys on the New York team that are like pretty tall that are up in that front line, like yacht. And, um, who's the other guy, uh, Jeff Babbitt, Babbitt, maybe? and they, yeah. yeah, I'm like, this, he looks like a tight end coming through the middle. That I'm like, who's going to stop this guy? <laughs> yeah. So, and that's, again, you're not a small person. So like, I could see the sport as it evolves, you're getting more specialized and just having like, you know, I mean, maybe like a Tony Gonzalez out there or something to your point totally, or those types totally. of people, like it's, it, it's a natural progression, but that aside, it already is super impressive. And the highlight reels, like, I just have been sending my my friends clips on uh, Instagram and stuff just to be like, you got to check this stuff out. But I I wanted to, you know, ask you a couple specific questions too from your own kind of history playing the sport. Um, and certainly we can talk about more about the, the, the games. But so you in college, as we were touching on your origin story, you played in a team named the Squids. Is that correct? Okay. 
Yeah. All right. And they nominated you. The Air Squids, we would say. Oh, the Air Squids. Got it. Okay. And they nominated you for the Callahan Award in 2021, which is that that's the is that the best player in college ultimate, basically? Yeah, that's that's the best player in college ultimate. That was quite an honor. I didn't expect that, honestly, but it was yeah. nice to 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 be nominated by them. Um, yeah, very yeah, cool. That's, that's Some the very aggressive. Some very aggressive music on that um, highlight <laughs> track. If you want to check that out on YouTube, but um, it's really it was pretty cool. I was happy to see a guy from Brown won it that year. So shout out, shout out to him. But it seemed and we just like... beat him. We just beat him this weekend, so we got. Revenge. Oh, did you? They were playoff bound, but they are no longer playoff bound because of us. So I saw that. That was a close. Move, but... It was a close game. Oh, I'm sorry. With a team, remind me of the team again. Um, we were playing, playing the Oakland Oakland team, right? Got it. And they had a chance to go to the playoffs, right? And you guys were kind of playing spoilers, uh, if you will. Because is that correct? Tell me, correct me if I'm yeah. So I'm I mean, it, they. I mean, I don't. I don't want to get too much into this, but it's one of this. Yeah. I, I don't. It's hard to see a sadder situation than what they went from. So starting on Thursday night, they were mm-hmm. they needed one win to go to playoffs, and if they mm-hmm. had two wins this weekend. They would have had a home playoff game, so they would have got a, they got they would have got home field advantage, and they went from this situation to losing to L.A. by a single point with two seconds left, where they led for forty seven minutes and f- forty seven minutes and fifty eight seconds, and they only were losing for two seconds of that game, and oh, wow. lost by one. And then they came to San Diego, and all they had to do was beat us, which we're having a rough season. We were two and nine at the time. All mm-hmm. they had to do was beat us to go to playoffs at this point. And they lost to us on a buzzer beater with two seconds left again by one point. I, and so they went from in the playoffs with home field advantage with with just one win to right. out of the playoffs completely and going home. So it was it was brutal for them for sure. But the, that's that's rough. But I, I will say you guys made it interesting at the end. At some point I feel like you're up by like four with like two minutes left, and all of a sudden they started scoring, and I was like, Oh my god, are these guys gonna gonna blow it here at the end? Yeah, it felt like no, you were no, hanging no. on for dear life at the end there. That's fair. I think that's very fair. Some time, some timely throws. Uh, and that was in front of your home crowd too. So the people are pretty fired up. I was going to ask you about that as well. Like, so again, I've had, a, I had some experience playing like minor league baseball and we would travel around to different towns. Now you're playing in much bigger cities actually than we were playing for the most part, but what's the, obviously besides San Diego, which I'm sure is the best, what's the best crowd or the best place to play when you're on the road? I mean, Salt Lake City is rocking. I don't know is what really? they, they have a, a community. They don't have a lot of sports in that town. There's not a lot of distractions of other things to do, I guess, at night. But I mean, they get out. I mean, they travel insane. Like their whole families come out to San Diego for games. I mean, they're, they're, that's the best crowd. I would say Salt Lake, Colorado's great, but Salt Lake is, is next level for, on, in terms of the West Coast, that is. Okay. So that's that's the place. That's awesome. So every week, not every as so every weekend during season, you're hitting, you're doing two games. Is that is that right? Basically, or it's not like always? one one to two games. So like, on, if we're doing okay. an away trip, we normally pair the trips. So like, for example, we'll play Seattle and Portland on the same weekend because it just makes sense. You're already up there. Just make it a double header type thing, and then we'll often we'll often do the same thing with Salt Lake and Colorado. So we'll we'll make Salt Lake and Colorado, even though they're not that close. It's still like a trip that's very, it's doable. It's the hardest trip because they're both really good teams and you're playing right. up at elevation. It's brutal. But right. uh, we make yeah, it yeah. a two game weekend. Yeah, it's tough. Yeah. <laughs> Your lungs have got to be on fire. That's funny. So I've seen a couple Salt Lake games, I think. And it's interesting watching on TV because, you know, again, you've, you've seen it for a much longer time period. I'm just checking in right now. So the TV experience, I actually think it's a sport that does well on TV. I think. I think there's a lot of like innovation that could help, you know, things that are being used in other sports that could kind of help with maybe some of the statistics, totally. the lengths of the throws, the speed, all that kind of velocity, all that kind of stuff that could like give fans more of a, a view. And then even just, you know, being totally, you know, maybe critical, but fair, I think is like some of the camera angles and stuff like that. It's, it's not as you don't have like the Super Bowl where there's like 48 cameras on everything. So exactly. But yeah. still, it still feels like it's, great on tv and then it's kind of fun to see what the environment is like at these stadiums i will say and there's live commentary the first time i saw a game i was like 
are the commentators there or did they just record this game and then add the commentary in afterward like with a recorded track but no they're there sitting up in the booth right like calling a live play-by-play of the game it's either usually like a two-man or three-man booth so it's i don't know it's really cool i don't know i'm not sure that i I point there your points there though yeah i really do like your points though of like the context type of stuff like the distance the throw speed the even like it would be really interesting to see like i think like if you put up like how often certain throws get completed certain types of throws where you just give like the viewer like understanding like what's a just understanding more about the sport and what makes a throw amazing or what makes a throw hard and just right. all this context. And then, like you said, angles, like I do think the, the actual sport is already great to view, but like mm-hmm. adding these would be wonderful in terms of like, getting new viewers, making it more watchable for a new, a new person, for example. That was my, that was my number one thing. The second one would be some of the stadiums are more like designed. It feels like for the sport itself, I'm sure it's borrowing from football or soccer in many cases, but some feel more like, Hey, this is our field. And then some feel like we're sharing. I mean, that's the same in, you know, major league baseball, right? I mean, I mean, there's, there's some like Oakland, for instance, comes to mind, but you know, as, as I've gotten older, those sports have really narrowed in on, on creating this awesome stadium experience for the fans. And I think there's definitely an opportunity for that just to enhance the kind of overall yeah. aesthetic watching it on TV. That will come with time though, for sure. Like that's, right. that's one of those right. things that's hard to do is it's, we're going to have to go to sport quite a bit to get those points, but like, like I said, I'm I'm very hopeful just based on the sports design overall. Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. Okay, a couple things. Circling back, it was you to Purdy for two goals. Oh, yeah. And that chemistry, you saw it the first time, and then you did it again. And so, like, in a play like that, this is the most recent game, I think. Is yep. that something that you're talking to him on the sideline, being like, hey, I've noticed whoever the guy is guarding you. He's, he's cheating in a little bit, like, sent, I'm going to send you deep? Or is that more just like you look up? Because it's hard to imagine that you can see down that far. But I'm, maybe it's just, you know, one of those things. Where right. So, so I have my progression. Okay. So, like, in my, it, when I catch a Frisbee, I have my, like, basic progression I'm going to look for um, in terms of targets. So I'm probably going to look for the guy going deep first. Right. And it's, I, I don't want to get too much into details, but you have someone standing in front of you that's marking me. We would say marking, and he's ba- his job is to cut off half the field. Um, and so the the idea of this is if he can cut off half the field, the defenders downfield only have to guard the other half. So that right, makes right. it he's easier. He's forcing you the, one way. Exactly, he's forcing me to throw one way. Ideally, I'm looking upfield first for that deep shot. I'm probably then looking for a split second to see someone coming underneath. So a shorter shot underneath to the, to that side that's free for me. And then I'm looking to go around the guy that's trying to block me. So for example, if he's blocking the left side of the field, I want to throw to the left side of the field. Got it. I see. Hard to do, but he's doing that because he's trying to play you into their defensive strength. So if you can get around him, you kind of offset whatever's happening down the field, basically. You got it. Yeah. You, you basically, it's, it's terrible. When that happens, your coach is not happy when it goes, when it goes around the guy, it's, it causes a cascading effects of, 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 the, of, of bad results, I guess. But when I was looking for Purdy there, I know Purdy's six, seven. I don't know if you noticed Purdy's. Oh, big wow. Dude. I did not know there was, okay. I got it. All right. So Purdy's big guy, six, 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 seven, close to that. Yeah. And so I yeah. know what he's looking for. And honestly, like the, like every thrower has their strengths. That's probably my strength is, is, is kind of like a lofty curvy throw to a specific spot where I mm-hmm. can throw it ahead of someone and I can have enough touch on that throw where I'm going to land it in there right where I want it with a, with a good amount of loft. And so a, a six, 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 seven guy is perfect for that situation. For example, like if I'm throwing to smaller guys, I struggle a little more with that throw because it's just, it's not ideal. A, a big defender can come from behind and, and, and get a block on something like that. You kind of want to put it like quicker and out in front and let that quick, fast, smaller receiver run onto it type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Purdy is perfect for me. I love to catch it, look up, see Purdy, put a little air underneath that frisbee, and just let Purdy go to work. Is kind of how let I let him see go it. get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah honestly, that's great. Utilize his strengths. Everyone's got a uh, not everyone. There are some like signature celebrations that people do, which I like. You can see occasional trash talk happening between the defender if the guy's maybe hanging on him or doing something where he's probably not supposed to be doing it, and then. It's just like other yeah. sports, but I like that. It's um, but there's also good, you know, sportsmanship as well. Like, yeah, there's a little tenacity though, and I like I like the the emphasis after after the scores. A couple, I'm kind of surprised to be honest that more people don't run into each other. 
there's like a lot of people running around at pretty high speeds. I'm just like, how are dudes just not like getting knocked to the ground left and right? I don't know if that does happen. I just haven't seen it. It but does it happen quite like, a bit. Does it? Okay. It, it's, yeah. It's funny because like the sport gets this non-contact rep because that's what it's advertised as, a non-contact sport. The higher right. and higher levels you get, the more contact, of course, the higher the competition gets. And I found that, I mean, it is, it's one of those sports you go into because you think you're going to avoid injuries. But it's like, it, it's, you got to keep your body right because the sport is, is high impact. I like to describe it as like, imagine if football didn't stop every seven seconds and you had to run a hundred percent and throw your knee into the ground and cut underneath and cut deep and cut and cut and cut and cut and cut, and cut over and over again on the same ankles, the same knees, like a hundred times more per game than you would as a wide receiver, for example. And so it's just a lot of impact. And so I think that like, those areas specifically, your knees, your ankles, like you need to take well, good care of strengthening. I, w- I mean, at this point, I'm wearing braces already. I'm only 26. Yeah. So like, like it's just, a, <laughs> it's a high impact sport with like full speed into cuts. And so it's a really unique type of like, yeah, like you said, you run into a lot of people and you're also, you're doing a lot of high speed stopping and going. I thought about that because I was wondering again with some of my comparisons to other sports about like, you know, what the staff is like, you know, cause you were saying there's a coach and he was your college coach and that's awesome. So obviously there's, I know there's, there's obviously a playbook and, and there's practices and there's all that kind of stuff. And then I'm like, I'm sure there's a trainer that's probably helping out, but I bet, I imagine at this point, you know, it, you probably need to be very disciplined yourself to make sure you're like doing all the working out and the stretching and all that stuff. I'm sure it's probably encouraged and maybe there is someone on staff, but I imagine you have to really take your own kind of the onus on yourself to like make sure that you're game ready is that is that the case there's a little bit of both yeah i mean we're lucky enough at the growlers to we have the player um his name is goose helton um and he he won two mvps in the past he's kind of i always think of him as like the grand the grandfather of frisbee he's not that old but um he's he's kind of like I saw his name when i was searching for you got it okay so he's taking it to the next level where he took the sport and he's he's kind of like a physical trainer and he does it for frisbee at this point he has a whole training program that like all the top colleges they use his program he designs the programs for them he sends it to them you do it type of thing okay we use that on our pro team as well because he plays for us um, and his, his wife is our coach as well. So we have two head coach, two like split head coaches and his wife is, is one of the coaches. And, um, yeah, so he's, he's keeping us all where we need to be. Um, okay. and it's a lot of stuff focused on, it's specifically focused on frisbee and what you need for the sport. Like lots of pliability, lots of strengthening around those joints. Like I said, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. I could see that. Um, that totally makes sense. Yes. That's how I found him because there was an interview with his wife and, and it, and it said co co-head coach. So that's kind of how I got down the rabbit hole of, of, of reading about her, her husband a little bit, uh, goose. It sounds like, there you go. So yes, I did read about that. Um, that's pretty cool to have him in your backyard. Then at least you're, you're getting that kind of top of the level. I found often even, you know, in, it was minor leagues, but in minor league professional baseball, it's kind of like, Hey, did you do your routine? And they're like, you're pitching tonight. It was, there wasn't a lot of oversight. So I think, um, it's good because that'll extend your career for sure. Okay. I want to get to stump the Samu, but oh boy, oh boy, I wanted to, I wanted to ask what is in your opinion, the hardest throw to make? Because I'm kind of impressed. I'm impressed by the long kind of bombs that you were talking about, like where you're curving it into someone's hands, the hammer throw from like sideline to sideline is pretty incredible when someone pulls that off. I feel like, What's the hardest yeah. throw in your opinion? It's funny because it, it's it's a weird sport where context is everything. Like, I, okay. and and I say that because of the floaty nature of a frisbee and the way the wind interacts with it, with it again. So, like, certain mm-hmm. conditions will make certain throws much harder, um, and and make you need to throw frisbees very differently. And this is kind of where that like really high skill cap comes in. I can't throw a Frisbee a normal way if I go play in Seattle because they're going to be gushing, gusting winds and I'm going to have to release the Frisbee 10 inches lower and I'm not going to let that, I can't let that Frisbee rise any higher than a certain amount or I'm going to lose it. It's going to, it's not going anywhere near where I want it to go. 
is that just something you learn from experience playing? Like, do you, or, or so like when you get on the field or is that like part of your pregame prep where you're like, Hey, it's, it's 15 mile an hour wins or it's 20 mile an hour wins from West. Like, is that part of your pregame kind of thought process or how does that work? Yeah. So everyone has their own process. Um, so I, I mm-hmm. it's not like everyone does the exact same thing, but I am big on that. So like I, when I get to a field, I get there a little earlier than everyone normally. And I am going to throw at minimum, probably 15 throws each direction, each type of throw, just to see how, how the wind's interacting with it. Cause I know how to adjust for the most part, but the, the context again is different every single game. And so you get there and even though you know the wind's coming from the west at a certain speed, is it gusty? Is it not gusty? Is it consistent? Is it is the air thick? It's all these weird things like mm-hmm. affect your throws. And you can really only like dial it in or like I would say calibrate is the best way to say it by doing it. And so you have to get there. And I will make sure I throw specifically the throws I struggle with, I will throw extra of because I know like this is one I it's hard for me. And so I'm gonna throw this one an extra 10 times and really feel out the wind and see like, what's going to work for me today. Like, where's my release point today? What height is that at? What speed am I going for? Cause like spinning speed makes a big difference, but also arm speed. And so you gotta, you're not like overthinking it, but like eventually you get that muscle memory and you know how to tweak each one. But those are kind of like wow. the elements I'm thinking about when I get there um, to the field, for example, but hardest throw, if it's windy, very like i am not throwing a hammer into the wind it's like that i would say for me in my head that's the hardest throw because like if there's wind coming at you and you're throwing a hammer into it a great defender is almost always going to have the time to break on that frisbee and make a play on it versus like you're you're losing the advantage of a hammer which in my mind is i can get a quick transit throw over the top of the person guarding me trying to stop me from throwing and i can make it a quick transit throw if it's not quick I'm losing like all of the, of what I get from that hammer really. And so I, so I would never throw that, but any of those deep shots in wind are, is just, I mean, you're adding so much more variability the farther the Frisbee goes and the higher the Frisbee goes and the deeper the shot, the higher you often have to throw it. And so any deep shot in any windy condition is, is, is definitely a skill. And you'll find that each pro team only has certain number of people that are willing to make that throw. So I would say, you're not having more very very few rosters have more than six guys that feel really confident throwing into the wind straight into the wind deep it's just it's mm. hard it's just really hard yeah that's that's so interesting yeah i mean again there there are sports that are outdoors and there's variables and so that's not unique but it is unique that the distance that the object is traveling and like a football is this kind of heavy leather thing right so not to say it's easy to throw it in the rain or something no, like no, no. that but but obviously it kind of cuts through a little bit easier than this than this very thin piece of um i want to say it's plastic but i might yeah it's plastic yeah plastic but it, exactly that gets batted great... down so it's a little harder to do that so i imagine that's part of the game planning right the coach is going to say hey look it's really windy let's let's work on our short passes let's work for these opportunities things like that so that that totally makes sense defensive schemes change massively defensive teams change massively based on condition i mean you'll you'll run completely different sets you might run completely different zone options, completely different types of poaches and weird. I don't want to get too technical, but yeah, you'll run completely different sets and you're looking for completely different. You want to force basically the idea of defense is to force bad throws. You want to force completely different set of throws is how you think about it. Kind of. Okay. Makes sense. Okay. I want to ask, so you're, you're the, the growlers team, as you said, it was kind of a, like a rebuilding year, if you will. Uh, I had an exciting win when you're on a team in ultimate like that, is that something where at the beginning of the season you kind of already know, like, hey, we've got some talent here, but we need to improve? Like, is it? Are you aware of it, or is it more not really until the games start going that you have any understanding of of where you think you'll get to? Well, I mean, I think it's like every sport. You'll have the the people that want to be blindly optimistic and keep it positive, right. which I respect. Right, right, right. But like in reality, have it. you should have some, like if you know your teammates, you should have some context and be like, this is a likely outcome for us. And of course people can improve, but it, it takes time. Like it's, and, and especially, I mean, with a young roster, you just need game time. Like the level up from college to pro, even if your skills are there, there's the, strat- the strategy level, the, like what throws are considered okay or a, like you should be throwing changes huge. I mean, the, the conversion rates go up so much at this level 
like in terms of like, if I'm on offense, what's the conversion rate that like, you have to change your whole mindset of like, what throws should I be looking for? Like what percentage type throws should I be looking for? Um, and so it's going to, there's going to be growing pain. So you, you should have some expectations is my answer, but like any sport, like you want to be, you want to be optimistic. And of course you're a certain level sure. of optimism is there, but yeah, you know, you know, the context in most cases of, of, of your team, I guess. And are you signing, you know, on the business side of this, are you signing like multi-year contracts? Is it like one-year contracts? So do you expect to have most of the players back next year? Like, how does that work? Yeah. So that's, that is a really interesting, like when we're at this level of sport at the moment, like you have really competitive players, but you don't have the capital in the sport to make it so you can like lock someone down. Like lock I, people I, I down. A, right. Yeah. Cause I mean, I have a job like in my, in my, in my, like my, I have a regular day job. Right. So like if my job changes and I have to move, like I'm not going to play for the growlers. So it is, it is essentially one year contracts unless for example, I think um, LA got one of the best handlers in the league. So one of the best throwers in the league from Chicago who I believe is okay. doing a PhD now in LA somewhere. Um, and so he is signed like a four or five year contract. Cause he's like, he knows he's going to be there and LA definitely wants him. Cause he's one of the best throwers in the league. And so they, they did sign him to like a four. So some players will do things like that, but the average contract is one year and New York is, I mean, New York's New York. I mean, New York's probably got, I don't know, 20 of the top 40 players, 20 of the top 50 players in the league all on one team. And so they're probably paying differently than we do. But our contracts are really just, we're going to cover your expenses and make, and make it very possible for you to play this sport at a high level. Um, and here we'll give you a little something on the side of that. But like you're, we're, we're all playing mostly because we love it, you know, at the moment, that is. Right. As it grows. But- that's cool. I mean, that's that's where that's where it is. In the, I mean, look, this is again Major League Baseball. You know, back in the '60s and and even in the '70s, people had secondary jobs. So this is not unheard of for a sport totally. that's maybe been around for a decent amount of time, but is still in its infancy as a professional sport. So that's that's totally understandable. And again, even in even minor leagues, no one was making any yeah. money and yeah, that's really for playing, sure. for the, yeah. playing for the love of it, even though the the odds were stacked against us. So I I appreciate that. Um, okay. My last question around, not my last question, but my last question about kind of the the sport itself is what's the camaraderie like post-match? Is it like rugby where everyone goes to a bar and it's like, hey, man, that was awesome. And it's like we're drinking out of a Frisbee. Or is it more like, hey, we're professionals. We have, do- we have jobs. Um, we're just going back to the hotel and everyone goes their own way. Or is it somewhere in between those things? I think every, I, I think it's probably like every team is very different. Um, but I, I like to think of it as like, I take, I, mean, I take when I'm playing the sport, I'm trying to play the best as my ability. And I, and I, I'm really trying to like, I, I'm really working on things and, and, and I care a lot about the results. So if I lose in a bad way on a away trip, like I just want to sit at home and watch the film. So like, I'll probably throw the film on the TV and just watch like, how did this happen? Cause I get, I get very frustrated personally. That's like my, my type. So but we have other teammates that, of course, are going to go to the bar and get over it that way. You know, everyone's got their their unique ways. Right, right, of, right. I'm probably going to sit and like, yeah, put my legs against a wall and try to drain them. But everyone's got their way of. Right. But I I think when you get a win on a, a weight chip, for example, you're going to go out. You're probably not going to party very hard because you got to you got to get in the car or get in a plane to the next trip. The next the next. You're probably not going to go after the first game, honestly. If it's a no, if it's a two to, a two game trip, first game you're going back to the hotel. You're getting ready for the next game. The next one you win, you're in a you're in a different city. Why not go out with your friends? Go go explore a little bit. So there's definitely a little bit of that. It's a little uh, mix, I guess. Yeah, yeah, it's a little mix. Okay, yeah. I just I didn't play rugby, but I know like in college that was like almost part of it was like at the end they just no matter what the result was they all got together and party. So this this sounds more like a professional like just like a professional sport. Like if it's a it's a weekend series. Yeah, you're going home, you're relaxing after the first one. If you get a win on the second one, maybe you go out and explore the town and do that kind of stuff. So that's cool. I just was curious as I was watching. Exactly, it, yeah. It, it did crawl into my brain. Um, okay, I want to play, uh, and you've been very generous with your time here, so I don't want to keep you too much longer, but I've you're got fine, fine. a couple more questions for you, and I'm calling this Stump the Samu. These are terms in ordinary in order of increasing difficulties, three questions. Uh, you don't win anything, unfortunately, but um, you can <laughs> demonstrate your knowledge of of ultimate. So, the first one oh is boy. this is I'm telling you the first one's a gimme just to get you warmed up. What's a Callahan? 
Okay, Callahan, probably some play you'll never forget if you're a Fizzy player and you make it any high level of anything. <laughs> but basically, the offensive player is throwing the Frisbee and it, it goes into the end zone. And as a defensive player, you intercept it and catch it in the end zone. So it's an immediate point for the defense, which the only way to do this is with a Callahan. In, in this sport, normally, when you catch it on defense, now you have to become the offense and throw it in the end zone your, yourself. But if you catch it in the end zone immediately, you got a point, Callahan. Got it. Okay, cool. This and that's this is for the listeners so they can, you know, understand a little more. And yeah, yeah, totally. No, you're good. The second one is what's a barbecue backhand? Oh God, don't get me started on this. When someone does one of these on my team, I'm not happy. Um, so there's two main throws in Frisbee. You got the backhand, which is your typical throw if you're imagining throwing a Frisbee, where the person has it in their right hand. They reach across to their left side of their body and they use like the torque from your legs slash hips and in your back. And you're going to bring that arm across your hand and your body and throw it. The flick or the forehand would be like, you would hold it. I I say you make like a, a pistol shape, I guess doesn't, doesn't really help. I can't show people right now, but a pistol shape in your hand, you put your two fingers underneath the rim of the Frisbee and hold it with your thumb and you throw your, like your, you can think about it. You're putting your forearm out, forearm out to the right. And then flinging the disc forward with like that, that, that like kind of like a um, fulcrum motion. Um, a barbecue backhand would be you're supposed to throw a flick. So the, the, the situation calls for you to throw a flick, but instead you reach across with your backhand and you throw a backhand instead. Um, and the higher the level gets, the barbecue backhand is often a harder throw to complete with a way, a way worse angle the Frisbee's going to fly at. So easier to block. And easier to block by the guy that's guarding the thrower. So easier by the, it's bad. Don't do it. Get away from your barbecue backhand if you're throwing it. <laughs> what I liked about the barbecue backhand, and thank you for giving us the details <laughs> on that, is that the synonymous terms that it has is dad backhand, which I thought was was appropriate because that feels like that's something I'd be doing. Probably. Yeah, it's the thing everyone does at the start because no one wants to throw a flick. And so they just throw backhands only. And so if you build that habit, then you start keep you keep doing it forever, and we still got players that do it. So you you just gotta you gotta keep working on it type of thing. Do you make them run sprints if they do a barbecue yeah, backhand, or do they is there like a kangaroo court in the locker room yeah. where someone has to? I'll probably tell, pay a I'll fine probably tell them about no. it. We'll we'll yell at them at practice. They'll hear it. They'll hear it. <laughs> they'll hear about. They'll hear about it. Nice. Okay. All right. This is the final question uh, uh, in terms for the stump the same. You're two for two. So let's see if you can close out here. What does the term conservation of greatness oh, mean? Yeah, that's sad. This is all about regression. If you're a stats person, you know what regression means. You can think about it as like regressing back to the mean. So you go out, you, someone throws you a, a, a beautiful, uh, maybe not a beautiful pass, maybe a pretty bad deep shot. But you go out there, you make an unbelievable catch. You lay, you lay out, you dive for it, you catch it with one hand, you tap a toe in, and you fall out of bounds. You come in, you plant your pivot foot, and you immediately throw a terrible Frisbee, like 40 yards on the Frisbee, because you're feeling so good about yourself. And we always say it's the conservation of greatness. You made a great play, and it was all back to, to the mean. Con- conserved it by throwing it away. And so it's, it's, it's taking that, uh, that <laughs> adrenaline and using it for negative uh, impact in the game. <laughs> but it happens to the best of us type of thing, you know? It's hard to avoid, honestly. Oh, man. Three for three yeah. in your initial, and I say initial because at some point we're going to have to get you back on, but three for three. I love that term, conservation of it's greatness. Great. It's so true. It's like in any sport, it could be applicable, but I've never heard that before. It's like you make some amazing play and then the next play, you just totally duff it. It's like, okay, there you go. You're back to, you're back right. to yourself. Exactly. So it's, it's great because you can, you can give someone a compliment, but also be like, why did you do the second thing? It's like, ah, oh, you did a great one. But so it's like, it's all in one, you know, you got one <laughs> term for it. That's great. Okay, I'm sure there's some others. I guess before I ask my final question, are there other terms that you that stand out to you or that that I should have included in my initial stump the Samu terminology? Oh, honestly, I mean those are great. I mean, you picked really good ones because I did not think that's what I was expecting, and that's that was great. I thought I was going to have to do like facts, and I was like, uh oh, <laughs> historical facts. I'm not going to be able to do this. We'll save those for part two. Okay, my last question for you was around, I know we talked about the announcing. 
So uh, you, I think your primary broadcaster is is Evan Lepler, who does the AUDL broadcast. Now, he's not the only one. There are multiple games. So there's other broadcasters. But when Lepler does your games, is that the equivalent of like the Aikman Buck crew calling a game? Is that is that right? Like Al Michaels? Oh, yeah. You feel it. Yeah. You feel it a little bit. You get there. <laughs> Lepler's walking juice. around the field making sure he's got everyone's. Oh, yeah. Everyone. He's making sure everyone's got their name. He's got their names right. He's like, hey, how do I pronounce your name? How do every all the new players are getting the questions because he doesn't know yet. Right. And you can you can feel it because Lepper's out there scouting. He's trying to get some intel on what to, how to start the broadcast. He's like, "Oh, they've looked good in warmups." You can feel it. Lepper's walking around like a little shark. And you can feel it. So it's, but it's always a nice feeling. It gives you a little extra stake. You feel. Uh, oh man, it gets a definite. Feels good. It's definitely some gravitas to the proceedings. He's like talked to Samu ahead of time. Said he's got a little discomfort in his left shoulder. I mean, he didn't actually say that. I'm just saying he has those little anecdotes that you'd hear. Right, like right, you right. know, he's like. He's like Al Michaels, but also like the sideline reporter with the information he's getting from the teams. And I was like, it must feel a certain way. Now, I don't know if he specifically goes to games based upon like the ranking of the teams or like what's at stake or not. But I think they sent. Yeah, I'm not certain. I know the answer. But um, I do believe that the league sends him to the big games, like often the game of the week or okay. like like because like each week they, de- they designate like a game of the week. I'm pretty sure he goes to most of those, so like all the big games. And they try to make them entertaining games, of course. They try to make them the good ones. They want to use Lepler on the best games, if possible. Of course. Okay, awesome. I've I've picked your brain. You've spent uh, nearly an hour answering my questions, and I really appreciate it. What questions did I not ask that if you, as a professional AUDL player, um, feel like the people should know about the sport? Anything that we didn't touch on that you think that we should have. I guess I just want to harp again on that. Like I, I, I think Frisbee struggles a little bit with connotation because everyone associates a Frisbee with like the little game they play on a beach and or th- disc golf. A lot of people associate it with, but give it a shot. There's like a, a, a ultimate game or if you got like a, a high school, that's got a good ultimate program, give it a shot. You might really like it. And Honestly, it's got one of those things where it's like you all you need is a soccer ball and a goal to play soccer. All you need to play frisbee is some shoes to make some end zones out of or some anything honestly to make an end zone out of and then a frisbee. And it's so it's easy to play. It's fun. It you're going to you're going to be tired. You keep you fit for sure. That's <laughs> never been fitter than playing this sport. That's just, that's for sure with me. But it's it's a blast and it it's it's something everyone should really give a try and and, I, and if you would ask me 8 years ago if I would ever say something like that, I would have said there's no way. So uh, it is. It, it slowly grabs you. It slowly grabs you, especially if you meet the right people playing at the right level, type of thing. I I can't or I cannot um, express that any better than you have. I mean, the same thing. When I told a couple people, I was like, I'm going to interview this professional player. They were like, What? And I was like, You got to check it out. And as I've sent people clips, they're responding like, Wow, that's that's incredible. You know, like. The plays are really impressive. It's fun to watch on TV. I would definitely recommend checking it out on, again, Fox Sports if you can, or just go to the AUDL website and sign up for the pass. Um, and then there's a ton of stuff on YouTube too, like the game recaps after the fact, which are cool. You can watch like a very, like a 12 minute version of, of the game if you don't have time to watch the whole thing. So um, yeah, I think it's great. Highly I highly suggest that. That's the way to intake it. Go Go watch some recaps. That's a great way to get a sense of the game. And then you might want to watch more, but that, yeah, get, get on those, follow the AUDL for sure at AUDL would be a great way to just get some clips on your feed. And I think you'll be surprised. You'll love it. A hundred percent. I couldn't agree more. So I encourage everyone again, check it out, check the website, <laughs> check the Instagram, and then find some teams in your local area and support it. Cause it's a great sport. So, um, Stefan, I really appreciate it. Thank you for coming on. Thanks for spending time with us. And we definitely have to have you back on again another time. I loved it. Thanks for having me, Green. <laughs>